Hello, welcome to the Consilience Podcast. Can't believe it, we're at episode seven already. So this week, it, I'm, it's gonna be a slightly different format. Um, the interviewer will be the interviewee, uh, AKA myself. And um, I'm, this is a replay um, with the permission of KNCI uh, 105.1 um, FM radio station. It's a country western uh, radio station. Um, they contacted me through UC Davis uh, last month to do an interview uh, for Mental Health Awareness Week. And um, it was, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for those of you who don't know what I do and what my views are on, on mental health uh, to hear it. But I do think we, you know, the, we talk about a lot of things that are very prevalent to what's going on right now. Um, again, this was recorded, um, I think, a week before um, the, the protests began um, over racial injustice and police brutality. And, uh, and so we don't really talk about that. So just to kind of give you a context for it. But I do think um, there's a lot uh, that we can, uh, hopefully you can learn from, uh, from listening to me talk um, uh, on the radio interview. I hope you all are well. Um, please uh, be careful. Um, I am you know, concerned about the uptick in cases with coronavirus, but I do think uh, we as a country have the, the the means and the will to to get through this and keep everyone safe. Um, you know, I I will probably uh, at a future episode, you know, try to bring in somebody to talk more about masking. But there have been a number of studies showing that, it, particularly in on enclosed areas, so in a grocery store, office space, um, doctor's office, um, going to a friend's house. Uh, when you're in, inside, uh, there is um, aerosol airborne spread of this virus, and masks do significantly reduce the transmission of that. Um, and so I do think um, as much of an inconvenience as it is, um, you know, I, I strongly encourage uh, everyone um, to consider wearing a mask you know, when they go to the grocery store or once movie theaters open, um, really any place where you're around other people in, inside. And this includes maybe even small gatherings that we're all starting to explore, um, meeting with friends uh, or family members, um, particularly if you're meeting with people who are um, you know, at risk um, of the more serious consequences of, of this disease. So anyways, enough on coronavirus. Um, I hope you enjoy the, uh, or at least are entertained um, by this interview and I uh, hope you're well. Thank you. Could you introduce yourself and provide a little background on what you do? Sure. My, my name is uh, John Onate. I'm a physician, double board certified in internal medicine and psychiatry. I'm a professor at UC Davis School of Medicine in the Department of Psychiatry. I'm also the director of integrative behavioral health for the Sacramento County Primary Care Division, where I have an integrated clinic. I've been here um, in various capacities since 2005. And um, I'm also past president of the Central California Psychiatric Society. And um, I'm uh, involved with the California Psychiatric Association as well. So it's Mental Health Awareness Month, which is why you're here today. So first yeah. and foremost, and this is a very broad question, what is mental health? I mean, it's an extremely broad, broad question. And I think... Um, 
depending on who you talk to, you'll get different answers to it. Um, you know, and from my perspective, it, it depends on your domains. I think, you know, for most people, mental health is, you know, are, do they have a sense of, of well-being? Uh, is their emotions, you know, in check or not overwhelming? Um, do they feel secure um, in their in their life and their situation? Um, you know, psychologists, social workers, um, even clergy and pastors—they may all have different different views on what mental health is. Um, from a psychiatrist's point of view, you know, at least in this, there's also a lot of of um, debate on what what you know what this term is as well. And and mm-hmm. but in general, from a psychiatrist's point of view, is are there you know clusters of behaviors and emotional states and cognitive uh, impairment that cluster together into into possibly either distinct um, problems or or categories um, that cause you know a severe impairment in functioning um, can put someone's uh, health and well-being at risk um, and you know require some sort of medical intervention or medical expertise to treat um, but even that is is debated because a lot of what we call mental health conditions or mental health problems or uh, psychiatric diagnoses, mm-hmm. um, there isn't a lot of, of understanding of the underlying pathophysiology, although we, we know a lot more than we have uh, in the past. Um, so it does have a degree of subjectivity that can be overwhelming or confusing to a layperson. But in general, mental mental health is your, you know, uh, kind of a gestalt of your emotional state that you understand your emotions, your emotions aren't overwhelming, um, that you're, you're also that you're being able to have, um, you know, a sense of understanding of who you are. And where you are in your in in your life situation, and have some insight into that. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it 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 is a it is a very big question in many ways, and and um, you know is um, you know takes years of study for those in like psychiatry or psychology or and social work. Um, but I think in general, everyone has an opinion about what it is. Right. Um, and it touches every aspect of of a our lives because we're, we're social primates mm-hmm. and our mental health. And we're also very, you know, intelligent social primates and right. that, you know, we have to have some degree of mental health in order to function. Would you consider mental health just as important as physical health? Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, they're too, you know, I'm, now I'm, I'm, I have my own biases on this, you know, because of my training, um, and, and interest, but to me, they're, in, they're, they're indistinguishable that you, your brain has to be healthy and you have to be emotionally healthy in order to be physically healthy. Right. And there's, there's tons of data on this. If you're, you know, if you're not, you know, if you have like major depression or you have schizophrenia, you're, you're far more likely to be physically ill. 
than the general population. And we're, we're, we still are trying to understand what that relationship is. And it's not, you know, kind of a, 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 an easy um, relationship to understand. But from my perspective, there's really, there's, there's no, you can't really take care of the body without taking care of the mind. And you can't take care of a person without understanding, you know, how they feel and what, where they are emotionally in all of this. What are some effects, common effects, of not taking your mental health care seriously? Um, so, so, so it can be disruptive to your personal relationships. It can make work very difficult. Um, it can impair your ability to, to finish school or to, to um, achieve, you know, either short-term or long-term goals. Um, it can have, you know, very immediate effects. Um, if you're acutely depressed and suicidal, it can be life-threatening. Um, there are also mental health conditions that have physical expression. So severe mania, um, you can have uh, physical and, and um, you know, very severe physical uh, sequela from that that can lead to uh, states like catatonia, which can be a life-threatening um, neuroendocrinologic condition. Um, so, um, yeah, so that definitely... Um, your mental health is, is really key to your physical health. What are some common mental disorders and what can they be caused by? Well, that, yeah, I think and that's where like, you know, the, my long winded, uh, you know, somewhat nebulous description of mental health plays in is that we don't understand a lot of the causes of, of the major mental health disorders. So if you look at um, from from in psychiatry and in psychology, um, we use the most common diagnostic guide is something called the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, and there's a fifth edition of it. And and so major mental health disorders are are roughly broken into psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, mood disorders, um, being the most common being major depression. Um, and uh, but that also includes bipolar disorder, um, anxiety disorders like panic attacks or just generalized worry and anxiety. And then we're 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 actually doing quite a bit of research on the effect of chronic trauma, um, especially early life trauma. Right. Um, but it can also be events where your life was at an acute. In, you know, you had a you're you're either shot um, or in a war. Um, you know, kind of a a war field type of environment, and that's like post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so these are, you know, and and I think in some ways um, we've done a, a better job of training people and getting information out. And so some of this terminology is, you know, is, is you know, out in the in, in in the general public, people understand it when you talk about like PTSD. They get a they have a an, a sense of what that is, or if, if someone's depressed, they they may have a sense of what we're talking about. Um, but those are those are some of the, the major um, mental health disorders. Now, in terms of like what is the most common, um, depression is probably the most common um, mental health disorder with a lifetime prevalence uh, around twenty percent. Wow. Um, of having at least one major depressive episode. Uh, followed closely by anxiety disorders are, are very common as well. And 
underlying all this also is like substance uses, you know, substance use disorders, um, which are also very, very common and, and underdiagnosed. So what are some common treatments for mental disorders? So um, you can break those up into, um, pers- you know, more process-oriented. Um, so this, the talk therapies, and you can have kind of open-ended, um, much more, de- you know, focused on developing your own personal insight into your, not just an acute mental health problem you have, but also maybe more just insight into what's driving you and your goals. And, and that's classically psychoanalytic or psychodynamic psychotherapy. Um, there are um, what we call structured um, closed-end therapies that have a, you know, you know, definitive beginning and end. Um, that's cognitive behavioral therapy, um, dialectic behavioral therapy, um, mentalization therapy, um, so these are very structured um, forms of talk therapy that have, you know, training, you know, they, they all have trainings, um, but have, um, you know, very, you know, they're much more rigidly structured than other forms of psychotherapy. So those are your, your talk therapies. And this can involve one-on-one. It can be groups. Um, a lot of it's done now over telehealth, uh, like Zoom or other types of video conferencing. Um and they're, you know, and and um, some are done inpatient, some are done outpatient, some have a mix of both. Um, but those are are um, kind of a rough category of the talk therapies. There are also um, medications, of course, which a lot of people understand, you know, are probably aware of. You know, there are, and they're kind of different classes of, of medications. I don't know how much you want to go into it, but it's you know, there are antidepressants um, with with um, various classes based on their mechanism of action. Um, there are antipsychotics, but even the antipsychotics are somewhat misleading because antipsychotic medications are used for a broad range of mental health disorders, including mood disorders and some anxiety disorders and some um, like PTSD. Um, you have medications that are specific for substance use. Those are called uh, MAT or medication-assisted therapy. You have anxiety medications. Some of those are controlled. Some are not. You have medications for um, uh, attention and focus for ADHD, for example, um, which are some are controlled substances, some are non-controlled substances. Um, And then, you know, you have some overlap medications with other conditions. So, for example, like clonidine, uh, which is a blood pressure medicine, um, can also be used for some psychiatric disorders. Um, And you have uh, medications like um, naltrexone, which is used for, you know, know, reversing opiate overdose, but it can also be used for treatment of opiate disorders. opiate um, use disorders, and in combinations with other medications, even for weight gain uh, mm-hmm. or obesity. So there's a, so there's a, a, a very large amount of, of medications. Now, what, what people may not understand is, is that, you know, especially for depression, is that if you see somebody who's like a psychiatrist or a well-trained primary care doctor who, has, who maybe has gotten some additional training in, in using these medications, um, they're, you know, they can be very effective if, if, if one, the diagnosis is correct, and two, um, they're, 
they're used in a, in a systematic way. So those are the medications. Now, what's burgeoning now are, you know, these neuromodulatory treatments, which are very um, interesting and exciting. Um, the oldest is something called ECT or elective electroconvulsive therapy, which is using a, a, um, a very short electrical um, charge through, through the brain um, that causes a rapid depolarization and has a uh, can be used for a variety of mental health issues uh, like depression or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And then there are newer uh, treatments called uh, TMS or magnetic therapy or RTMS, repetitive transcranial magnetic therapy. And these are devices that can be used um, that are being more and more used for initially for depression, but now they're being develop protocols for a variety of, of uh, psychiatric and neurologic conditions. Um, and then there are uh, even newer um, lines of treatment um, called direct current treatment. These are like low voltage um, treatments of using electrical current across the cortex to help with uh, depression and attention and focus. So there's, um, you know, in, in many ways, you know, we, we have a lot of a broad use of, of uh, treatments for mental health that are available. Um, biggest challenges in my mind, you know, and just anticipating another question is access, because unfortunately our healthcare system doesn't have parity um, with, with so psychiatric and mental health disorders. Um, we are still, you know, even though we've had some improvements with various legislations and the ACA, um, the Affordable Care Act, that brings more parity between like heart disease and major depression, we're still not 100% there yet. And so there are definitely areas of the country where you just don't have access to these treatments uh, or it's very, it's very difficult to get access to, um, to modern um, evidence-based uh, mental health care. Yeah. The, um, um, you know, and then finally, um, and this is something that I have uh, interested in as well, is, you know, lifestyle can also be a, a treatment in, for mental health disorders. So aerobic exercise um, is something that's very effective for depression uh, in particularly. Um, and um, you also get the side benefit of it helps out a lot of your physical health ailments as well. Um, but if you have a structured and consistent aerobic exercise program, um, that can help um, be an effective treatment as well for, for major depression. What should a friend, family member, coworker do if they suspect someone is experiencing mental health issues? Yeah. So, well, well one thing is, I, I think, is because um, sometimes there's a even physicians have these uh, and other types of healthcare providers have this fear. There's there's a concern that, you know, you're going to cause someone to be depressed or make it worse to ask him about it. So right. I think the first thing is, like, don't be afraid to check in with that person um, in a, you know, in an empathic and caring way. Um, people who have depression, you know, it can it can be like in a prison without any bars or, or locks, but it has that same effect of separating you from um, society, separating you from your friends, separating you from your family members uh, emotionally and somewhat cognitively, especially sometimes people with depression develop um, delusions that, you know, they can make other people 
uh, that they'll, in a sense, curse other people, or, or, or it's called contagion, where they'll, you know, that being around other people will make them feel bad as well, or they, you know, or that they're, you know, they, they, the, the depression itself makes it very difficult to maintain connections to other people. So I think, um, you know, not being afraid just to reach out to someone that you're concerned with, check in on them, ask them how they're doing, let them know what you're concerned about. And, you know, I think that's the first step. And that can actually be life-saving. Mm-hmm. You, you never know. You know, a person may be really on the edge of a suicide attempt, and just the one act of kindness may derail a cascade of events that could have led to a serious or, or, um, or completed suicide. Yeah. So I think that, that, that's really the first step is like, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to someone and ask them how they're doing. You don't have to make a diagnosis. You don't even have, you know, you know there is a, unfortunately a lot of stigma with mental health disorders. And so people may become defensive. Right. Um, but in my experience, most people, you know, you know, having a family member reach out to them is a, is a, one of the big reasons why they oftentimes end up in my office or having an appointment with me is because someone else has said like, hey, I think you should get some help or talk to somebody. With the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, quarantine, social distancing, yeah. what kind of effect could this have on someone's mental health? Well, I think it I think it's um, has a significant effect. And there's there's data on this. There's There's been a few uh, studies on the effect of the quarantine out of China because um, they're, you know, several months ahead of us in this. Yeah. And definitely higher higher rates of depression, higher rates, particularly anxiety, and also higher rates of substance use issues associated with the quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, the other problem is the disruption of just your regular access. Um, so people may not, may assume in the quarantine that the, their regular clinics are closed, that they can't get help, Um and, uh, and in some cases, they're, they're, some of the community resources may, may literally be closed. And so some of the community partners that, that, that work with clinics like mine to help get people into care, um, they may not be able to have the same level of access as they had before. So I think um, there's, a, there's a, uh, a double whammy, maybe a triple whammy, I'll get to that in a second, um, where, you know, the, the, the social distancing and the quarantine and the, and the sort of shutdown of, of non-emergency services uh, make it more difficult for people to get help. Then the, the social isolation in itself is a pressure cooker and may cause, um, you know, people who were maybe subclinical um, to become overtly depressed or anxious. And there was even a few studies showing that there was an uptick in psychotic disorders uh, as well. And, you know, a lot of times with schizophrenia, it takes a, a, sometimes a, a social, a significant social change um, or transition can trigger the first psychotic episode as well. Um, but the triple whammy part of it is, is that whereas we're learning more and more about this virus, there, there may be, there's a, a high degree of encephalopathy in people who have COVID-19. And there may be, there's some case reports and, you know, we need more data and study, but there may be a small percentage of people who had COVID-19 and recovered, but may have some um, neuropsychiatric um, sequela from it because the, the virus definitely infects the brain uh, when you have a bad infection with it. 
What are some tips for relieving loneliness, anxiety, depression during this time? So I, I think one is to, to test your assumptions. So, you know, don't assume that your primary care doctor or clinic or, you know, are not accepting people or you can't get, um, you know, evaluated by a psychologist or psychiatrist, because actually um, one of the unintended consequences, but I think has actually been very good, is that there's been um, emergency laws that have greatly opened up um, the access through telehealth um, and so um, we actually have a lot more capacity to see patients from their home than we had in the past before the, the outbreak. So people, you can, you know, if you, if you have insurance or if you have Medi-Cal, you're living here in California, um, you may be able to get uh, an evaluation from your, from your phone um, relatively quickly if you're in crisis. Um, I think re, re, if you're, you know, you they, we, I think we've gone to level two here in Sacramento, um, but I think you have to make a judgment. You know, these if you're if you're very concerned about somebody, um, you know, put a mask on, knock on their door, talk to them from their porch, or give them a call. Um, you know, don't don't um, don't feel like you can't um, contact somebody um, if you're worried about them, you know, like a family member or a friend. Um, if you have neighbors and you know that they're, they're kind of isolated, you know, put a note on their door or give them a call um, or, you know, talk to them from, from their porch. But, you know, checking in on somebody, I think just, just, just that connection can really, you know, um, help somebody. So I think, you know, there's a lot of ways um, you can do it. Some of it's situational dependent on if you're in a, you know, if you live in a big apartment complex uh, versus if you're, you know, living in a rural area where, you know, it's like five miles between neighbors, um, you kind of, kind of depends. I think personally, um, for you, some things that are really, really helpful that you can do is like have a structure to your day. Don't just sit around. Just let the day happen passively. I think the more assertive you are and, you know, even though you're, you're not going to work or you, you can't go to your, have your normal routine, have, have some structure that gets you out of bed, gets you out of your bed clothes, um, maybe, you know, kind of sketch out what your day will look like, may always include some exercise, always include some sort of self-care, you know, whether it's listening to music or, or playing with your kids or doing a phone call or Zoom with some friends. Um, but, you know, try to have, um, try to give yourself some, some structure um, uh, during the day so that um, it feels like, you know, you feel like you're kind of moving, you have some goals. And then take some time um, at the end of the day to kind of assess how things went and how you might want to do things differently in a non-judgmental way. So you mentioned telemedicine a few times. What is that and how has that changed in the past three months? So, so telehealth is, um, you know, essentially getting a, a me- you know, a, a, a medical or psychiatric or psychological, um, even physical therapy um, are doing this through telehealth, but, you know, basically doing it through either a phone call or a video chat. And um, what's changed is, is that with these, um, with, uh, with these emergency pandemic laws is that it used to be very, there's a lot of bureaucracy and, and just a lot of barriers for healthcare providers to provide telehealth visits. Because of the pandemic and emergency and the lockdown, um, 
insurance companies are are basically you know reducing the 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 administrative or like a primary care doctor uh, to call their patients and manage their diabetes over a phone call or a video call as opposed to making a patient you know come to of a pandemic. So now telepsychiatry uh, in particular has been done for years. Um, and, uh, and in many rural areas, it's really the only form of psychiatry that people may have because there may not be a psychiatrist, you know, within driving distance. Right. Um, and um, I think there's been some technological improvements. There's, you know, um, there's been, um, you know, Zoom, Skype, um, even some forms of, of uh, the Google Hangouts are, are have much better security to allow um, allow it to uh, maintain privacy. Um, there's a a, a company uh, it's a social it's a, it's a social um, one of these social platforms, but it's, it's geared towards healthcare providers called Doximity, at providing uh, HIPAA compliant, secure, and very easy to use uh, video conferencing. I use that quite a bit. So, but, but, you know, these are just ways that, that you can get at, you know, get an evaluation, talk to a professional, um, you know, from, from the comfort of your home. Um, uh, and uh, as long as you have access to a phone, you know, the challenge is, is, um, you know, I have a lot of patients who are homeless is, uh, you know, not all of them have a phone, not all of them are in a situation where, you know, they, they can have privacy. And so, it, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a, a complete, you know, solution to an issue, but I do think it does uh, allow for um, quick and convenient access. And there is stigma. I do think that uh, for some people, you know, even the, the, the there's a concern that if I go to a mental health clinic, my employer or friends or you know or strangers are going to look at me uh, in some way because unfortunately we still have uh, a lot of stigma for mental health. It's oftentimes a scapegoat. I don't want to get too political on this, but, you know, it's often, you know, it's a very favorite scapegoat for for gun violence and things like that. And so people still have this, you know, sense that if someone sees a psychiatrist that, you know, they're they're different than everyone else, uh, which is not not the case at all. You know, in reality of it is, is you know, most people could will will need or benefit from some sort of mental health care at some point in their life. Right. What is the California Psychiatric Association doing about COVID-19? Yeah. So so our CPA, the California Psychiatric Association, has a task force that's really, you know, working on psychiatrists to help them maintain access um, we're also uh, involved in programs to provide uh, mental health care to frontline providers. This is a, a whole other, you could have a whole radio show on this, but there's a great deal of, of, um, of probably one of the most at-risk at populations uh, are, especially are, are health care providers in, in very heavily hit areas. So like in New York or Michigan, um, these areas where we're starting, uh, Chicago, for example, um, where they have had, you know, very high rates of, of hospitalizations and there's a, and they've seen, you know, colleagues uh, come down with COVID-19. These uh, healthcare providers, you know, even before the pandemic have high rates of, of mental health issues um, and it's even compounded even more by the pandemic. 
Um, you know, so we're trying to work with state and, and national organizations to provide stuff like free counseling and, and, and mental health support um, for, um, you know, for healthcare providers. So that's one thing CPA is doing. You know, the other thing is, um, you know, advocating to make sure that we have uh, and we have improved access and parity uh, for mental health disorders uh, because, you know, there's, I mean, there's going to be this huge financial impact that's going to have, you know, months to years of, of impact and probable increase in need for, for mental health care. And so that's one of the other things that the CPA is working on as well. And where can listeners get more information on what we discussed today? So I, I you know, as a, I would say a, a good good place for mental health care. Um, you know, there's the Association for uh, the American Psychiatric Association website has a lot of information. You can look at the California Psychiatric Association's website. Uh, I would, I, I'm a big advocate of the NAMI, so getting involved in your local NAMI chapter. NAMI is the National Alliance for Mental Illness. It's a really um, great uh, grassroots organization not run by healthcare professionals or psychiatrists or psychologists, but by, you know, people uh, living with mental illness and their family members. And there's a lot of resources there and they do a lot of advocacy and they can help you get connected to services. Um, And, um, you know, if you're in Sacramento, check with uh, UC Davis, Sutter, Kaiser, your, all the big health hospital systems, you know, um, have, uh, you know, have mental health providers there, either in emergency rooms or through uh, support systems. Um, if you're in Sacramento County, you can look at the Sacramento County uh, Behavioral Health or Access Program. Um, you know, so there, I think it, there's a, there's, you know, I think there's a lot of, of places. Now, you know, you may, the first step too is don't, don't forget your primary care doctor. Probably the number one healthcare provider providing uh, mental health care is our primary care system. And uh, in fact, um, I'm involved uh, with uh, a program jointly run by UC Davis and UC Irvine called Train New Trainers. And we, this is a program started by uh, Robert McCarran and Shannon Suo, um, who, um, you know, which trains uh, primary care providers on, you know, evidence-based uh, treatment of mental health disorders in the primary care setting. And we've been doing that for about five years now or, or longer. Um, so I think, you know, probably, you know, don't be, a, you know, if you don't know where to go, contact your primary care provider is a good place to start. Um, but there, you know, there are definitely resources out there, you know, county by county um, that um, you can access. And is there anything else you'd like to add about mental health or Mental Health Awareness Month? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, especially in this in this time, you know, and it may sound like a cliche, but, you know, be patient with, with each other. Um, it's going to be very stressful in going out into the public, whether it's parks or restaurants or stores. Um, and, you know, people will have different types of reactions. And oftentimes, um, you know, if someone seems uh, worked up or if you feel worked up, try to try to have uh, compassion for the people you interact with. And, um, and in terms of, of um, stigma, you know, just realize that, you know, every, you know that um, mental health is something that affects all of us. And if you talk to your family, there's probably someone in your family or a close friend who's dealt with it. Um, and so don't be afraid to talk about it. 
you know, talking about this disorder doesn't cause people, you know, talking about suicide that won't, won't cause someone to be suicidal. Um, in fact, you may help them, you know, in getting, getting the right, right health. So I'd say, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to ask, ask for help and try to be in compassion and kind as much as you can um, to yourself and to the people around you. This video and podcast represents the opinion of Dr. John Onate and his guests. The content is provided only for informational, educational, or entertainment purposes. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions or concerns. Views and opinions expressed by the host and guests are our own and do not represent that of our place of work. While we make every effort to ensure the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. I do not receive any income or gifts from the pharmaceutical industry. I have no financial conflicts to disclose in relationship to the content presented, and if I do, I will present at that time. Thank you.